Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton. Joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? We know you're going well, mates. Um, yeah, no, kicking along relatively nicely. It's been an interesting week with not many games, obviously, in the All-Star weekend. So it's a bit of a um, take your breath and you know revisit your fantasy goals for the rest of the season and, <laughs> yep. and see, see what type of shape How are those going. fantasy goals going at the moment? How, how are the gorillas looking, Caddy? Uh, well, we're hanging around. I think, um, yeah, we had a couple of good wins leading into the All-Star break, and I think yeah, our league's pretty pretty tight. So if you can get a couple of percentage boosters, it sort of makes up, you know, it's as good as you know, three or four weeks, really. So um, I've had a couple of those good results, and uh, I think we'll, yeah, I think we're confident there will be a, a playoff team. Um, and then I think, you know, once you're there, as we know, anything can, can really can happen. happen so. mate. You, you can pick up someone on the wire that just starts going absolutely ape droppings in the last sort of couple of weeks. So, no, they just said, mate, if you're there, you're a chance. There's obviously Toffer is the man to beat at the moment, despite his reluctance to admit that he's, you know, got the best <laughs> team we've ever seen. But, uh, no, it's always interesting to see how the last few weeks of the of the uh, fantasy league do do turn out. But uh, yeah. we're not here to talk fantasy, Caddy. We're here to talk some all-star which we obviously saw, as you mentioned, over the last few days. So we'll kick it off, Caddy, with the main game, and it was Team LeBron 163 that knocked off Team Durant 160. We had uh, Steph Curry going banana, shooting 16 from 27 from three for 50 points. We had Ja Morant throwing down some ridiculous dunks. We had a LeBron James game winner in Cleveland. We, we had quite a bit going on, Caddy. What did you make of the game? Do you like the new format they're doing with the – with the winner at each quarter and then obviously the Elam ending, which seems to be putting certainly a, a bit more competitive spirit into the last few minutes. Anyway, did, did you did you enjoy the game, Caddy, and what did you sort of take away from it? Yeah, like I, I did enjoy it, actually. I think um, the fact that they are just scoring sort of each quarter as you go and they've obviously got their charities that each team were playing for, um, I think at least as it uh, got down to the end of each quarter, that last minute or so, it kind of, yeah, the... the but they kind of geared up the players to to really lock down into to, you know a bit of defense and and a bit of urgency around trying to get a result on each quarter, which I think is a, a good ad because yeah, clearly it's a, it's an exhibition game at its purest at form, um, so we can't deny that. But I think if there's any way that they can add some competition or some incentive around it, I think it's a bonus, and I think that definitely worked um, in, in the game's favor on the weekend. And then as you mentioned, the, the ending itself. Um, was was really good the last two or three minutes where you know they all sort of locked in um, both both ends of the floor and you know Curry as you mentioned he was going off but he actually went a bit cold in the last couple of minutes I think he, he was, was pressing probably, pressing towards the end wasn't he I think he was probably exhausted really from um, from shooting so much because I think yeah he finished what sixteen of twenty seven I think you said and I think at one stage he might have been like fifteen of twenty one from yeah from he three was, yeah. so he, I think he missed you know um, quite a lot of his. Shots towards the end, and then yeah, LeBron in the end saved them after it looked like Team Durant were making a bit of a late comeback. So no, I enjoyed the game for what it was. Um, clearly, not a lot of defense gets played out there, but yeah, I think there's times in the game where it certainly tightens up. I actually felt a little sorry for the guys that were coming in off the bench at the ends of the quarters because that's where it seemed to tighten up the game. Whereas at the start of each yeah. quarter, it was really no loose easy and, points when you're coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you could kind of what you wanted at the start of each quarter but then the guys that were coming in off the bench into that situation where it, it started to get a little bit more um, competitive I think they weren't getting as, as many easy shots as I'm sure they would have preferred but um, now there's some standout performances as you mentioned with Curry um, Joel Embiid was played, a, played an awesome game as well he was terrific out there and um, he was shooting the three ball really 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 well also and he was 
I think, yeah, mate, trying to make a bit of a statement um, for, for what he could out there as that he's the, you know, the, the dominant man in the game at the moment and, and for the most part outside Curry's incredible shooting, I think that was probably the case. Yeah, yeah, he, he was outstanding. He's obviously on, on an incredible tear and, you know, right, right there for, for the MVP. I'm, I'm always sort of interested in, in looking at the how the minutes get divided up in the All-Star game. I think it's a good indication of sort of how the players are, you know, viewed in the league, I suppose. And and the one that really interested me was DeJounte Murray played over 26 minutes in his first All-Star game. So, obviously, they were looking for a bit of defense on Team Durant. That, that, I'm assuming that's why he got so many minutes, although he's pretty good offensively as well. So... He actually played, you know, more minutes than Tatum, Trey Young, Ja Moran and Wiggins, so more minutes than all the starters apart from Joel Embiid. So I, I thought that was an interesting aspect. And, I, and I'm always keen to see who closes these games because, as you said, you know, it gets really willing, I suppose, in, in those last five minutes of this game. And for Team Duran, it was it was Young, Embiid, Booker, LaMelo Ball and, and your man, Zach Levine. Now, just quickly, as a Chicago fan... Were you happy to see Zach Levine playing in this All Star game, given he didn't even play the last three games leading into this? No, probably not to the level he was down the stretch. I mean, his, his minutes were only eleven, which was the least amount on on his team. But he, as you mentioned, he did close the game and, and was in there when things were getting quite willing. There were some yeah, good moments of him and DeRozan going one on one, and they both made a big shot down the stretch on each at each side. So that was interesting. But yeah, it was funny because he. He'd gone to LA, missed um, those last three games leading in to get his knee drained. Um, so you'd think he would have been taking it ultra cautious, you know, almost like the way we saw Chris Paul used him um, from the yeah. opposition side of things. So, um, but yeah, as you said, he was playing down down the stretch um, of that. So look, hopefully that leads to the fact that he is is feeling pretty good and he'll be back out there um, after the break. But um, yeah, the other interesting wrinkle with it all was um, the fact that in the end, with the, uh, Donovan Mitchell pulling out and Chris Paul you know, only playing really limited minutes, it meant that um, Team LeBron were basically running out almost a seven and eight man rotation versus <laughs> yeah. um, you know a twelve man rotation on the other team. So you saw really heavy minutes for LeBron um, and Steph Curry thirty six minutes each, and Doncic twenty five, Giannis twenty seven, and DeRozan twenty seven. So you know they've they've played significant time in that game, whereas it's clearly a lot more thinned out and spread out um, with the Durant uh, team that had yeah, 12 players to, to rotate through, whereas um, yeah, Team LeBron was only down to what was it, sort of the 11 or, or 10 really with Chris Paul, and then Van Vliet and Jimmy Butler only played nine minutes each. So they really Jimmy Butler just them. continuing his just disdain really for giving any, he's the hardest playing player pretty much in the whole NBA during the regular season, and he just gets to the All-Star game and just goes through the motions. Yeah, not really built built for it as as we've seen um, across his uh, All Star history. But yeah, one guy that certainly is built for it was Lamelo Ball, and he got some good opportunity. And and in his limited time, he just played really well. Um, also, and um, yeah, I think him and Garland and and Dejounte Murray, as you mentioned, have sort of really had a bit of a taste for it this year. And, and hopefully, they'll play um, in a lot more games. Jared Allen was another one that threw down some nice alley oops um, in front of the home crowd as well. So yeah. It was a bit of a, a changing of the guard in the sense that there was some fresh talent out there, but in the end it was the, the superstar-level players that uh, came to the fore once again. Yeah, we saw Lamelo throw down that between-the-legs alley-oop to DeJounte Murray. So, as I was saying, yeah, the closing five for Durant was Trey Young, Embiid, Devin Booker, Lamelo, and Zach Levine. And the closing five for LeBron was LeBron, Steph Curry, Jared Allen, Giannis and DeRozan. Any surprises there in the... In the closing fives, I mean, Lamelo is probably the one that, that sticks out as a as a bit of a surprise, I suppose. Jared Allen, 
obviously out there to try and uh, defend Joel Embiid. Are they the, the five that you'd probably see from, you thought would be out there for each team? No, certainly not. No, I think, um, look, I'm not surprised Wiggins, you know, he, he probably played his starters minutes that he was allocated and that was about it for him. But yeah, probably Jar Morant was the one that I would have liked to have seen out there um, in yeah. the larger stretches. He played se- seemingly limited time. And I suppose the other thing you need to um, probably hope to understand is, you know, whether there's been limit res- uh, minute restrictions put on some of these guys or not. Yeah. That's a thing we, we probably never, well, we don't know. Um, but yeah, Morant seemed to have, you know, as voted as a starter, playing at MVP level, I think for him to only play 18 minutes was, was a little bit disappointing. Um, but, yeah, so they had some interesting, you know, that that, clo- that closing five, as you mentioned. Uh, Devin Booker, I think, was, was great that he was out there. But uh, Team LeBron, you know, just, as we said earlier, they pretty much played a pretty um, shorter rotation anyway. And Jared Allen got those closing minutes and, and probably for the defence, um, in a sense, more so than... Um, well, playing in front of Nikola Jokic. Got a couple um, of big offensive know, boards late. He did. Uh, Jared Allen yeah, got a couple yeah. of big offensive boards. Yep. Uh, and, and look, he played well and it gave the crowd, you know, extreme incentive to get involved with him and also um, LeBron James clearly, you know, controlling the tempo of, of the game as well. Yeah, so LeBron obviously hitting the game winner uh, back in Cleveland and extending his unbeaten streak. He's now 5-0 and as team captain, so he's obviously a much better GM when he's picking his All-Stars than he is picking his uh, teammates for the Lakers. So, uh, yeah, so no, I, I liked it. I, it was certainly this Elam ending over the last two seasons has certainly added a bit of spice to the game, and we at least get some sort of competitive basketball, which is what you want. You, if you've got the best players out on the court, you'd rather see them trying than just sort of going through the motions and, and hitting big shots. But obviously some of those three-pointers that, that Steph was hitting, there was a couple, there was that, that really deep one where he turned around, and I don't know if you saw the still of the photo that was taken, but he he was turning around as the ball was in the air at the free-throw line. That's that's how early he turned around on that one. And then there's a, the corner three-one that he also hit. There's the photo of the ball going through the net, and he's turning around at the crowd as well. So he, he just electrified the crowd there. I think he hit three three-pointers in about a minute at one stage. So we know Steph can do that, and obviously 50 points. The second-highest scoring um, all-star appearance of all time behind Anthony Davis, so you know, much-deserved MVP in the game. Well, we'll move on now, Caddy, to, to the rookie-sophomore game, which we saw on the first night of proceedings, I think it was. And, and again, they changed up the, the format this year, and I actually really liked it. So we, we had, they were divided into four teams, and it was each team played to 50, and then the winners out of each of those games then played off in the final. So we saw Team Isaiah beat Team Worthy 50-49 in the first game, and then it was Team Barry 50 over Team Payton 48, and then in the final it was Team Barry, led by the, the former NBL star caddy, Jashon Taidu, made a couple of good defensive plays down the stretch and hit the winning uh, bucket, a really tough uh, driving bucket, um, beat Team Isaiah 20. So... Do you like this this new format for the rookies, Caddy? I haven't really sort of paid too much attention in the past to this game. It turns into a bit of a sort of a bit of a dunk contest usually late, and and it's even worse than the All Star game because the players aren't quite as good, and they're trying to do stuff that they probably aren't quite capable of. We've seen them try the the USA versus the world as well, which you know was probably good for a year or so. But I think this new format here is much better. They're playing in shorter bursts. There's something to play for, and then you've got the grand final that. Uh, that you know, sort of gets the competitive juices flowing as well. I suppose we saw Cade Cunningham take out the MVP in the end. He was very good. So yeah, did, did you see much of this game, Caddy? And do, do you like this new format? I didn't see much of it. I sort of gave that first day of the weekend a bit of a 
bit of a wide berth. I think it kind of sneaks up in you too that first day of the, the weekend because there's still NBA games the day before. And you yeah, kind of there's no break in between. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, you sort of assume that there's a bit of a day at least. But yeah, this came came up quick. I, I didn't. Um, I did see the rosters for the celebrity game and didn't recognise anyone in it. So I thought I probably won't. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, waste too much time with that. Um, whether that's showing my age or not. Um, uh, you're not alone. And, I didn't know anybody right. either. Um, but yeah, I, look, I think as you mentioned, it was good for them to change up the format at least because I've watched a number, a number of these games in the past, and it's really mm. is just a poor man's all star game in terms of the way it used to be. And, um, yeah, even as you mentioned, just the, the it's a less defense, less um, intensity, and just less standard or a lesser standard um, with the players. So yeah, I think um, yeah, the fact that they've integrated some G League plays as well was positive, and from an Australian point of view, you look at the guys and Daniels. Uh, from the G League Ignite, um, an Australian player there. He'll hopefully be in the NBA next year. Nice um, athlete, looks good, yeah. Yeah, he looks really good. So I think, yeah, he could be a first-round pick, hopefully, in, in this year's draft. So, yeah, no, I think, as you mentioned, yeah, it was a little bit more intense the way it was played. And, you know, at least there was a bit more meaningfulness to it. Um, and, again, great to see our man Josh Giddy. You know, he, he had a bit of a starring role across All-Star game. He was, um, and I'm sure we'll touch on it in a minute, but he obviously played in this in this format, and then was also in the skills challenge um, the following day and performed, you know, really well in that. So, yeah, he certainly did, uh, didn't lose any admirers over uh, over the weekend. No, he, he was fantastic. And we'll move on now to the All-Star Saturday, which he did feature in, as you mentioned. So they kicked it off with the skills challenge, and again, they, they switched up the format to this. It went for quite a long time, the skills challenge, but I must admit, I, I really enjoyed it. So they split into three teams. They had the Cavs team, given it was in Cleveland, obviously. It was Mobley, Allen, and Garland, the rookies. Uh, Josh Caddy, as you said, uh, Scotty Barnes and Cade Cunningham. And then they had the Unter de Kumbo brothers as well. So the, the shooting challenge, which was good, they had the, the different spots and there was quite a bit of strategy involved with that. You could shoot for five points or four points or three points based on where you wanted to go to. And we saw the rookies kick that off and, and Josh Kitty was great. He sort of he worked it out. He was doing the, the corner three and then sort of the elbow jumper and he, and he was making most of his shots. And unfortunately, his teammates didn't shoot as well. We saw the Antonio brothers struggle a little bit, and then uh, it was it was the Cavs that come out, and Garland was on fire. I think he hit three of those long five pointers, and and maybe another three of the four pointers as well. So they took out the shooting challenge. Then we had the passing challenge. It was actually the rookies and and the Antonio brothers tied in this, and a, there was some sort of tiebreaker. I think the Antonio must have hit more of the the five point passes there. So there was a bit of strategy involved in that as well. We had the relay which we saw the rookies take out, which meant the rookies, I think the relay was worth 200 points and those other ones were worth 100. So the rookies went straight through to the to the grand final. Given that the other teams had won one challenge each, there was a three-point shootout, the first to hit a three-pointer. And it was, uh, so the Onto the Kumbo brothers didn't send out Giannis, which I thought was interesting. They missed their first shot and Garland drained the three, which sent them into the final. And it was everybody's favourite shot, Caddy, the half-court shot, I think. So the rookies went first. I think they took around about 11-ish seconds, I think, 11, 12 seconds, which was pretty good. But we saw um, Evan Mobley, sorry, step up to the plate and hit it with his first shot, and they ended up taking out uh, the skills challenge there. So did, did you like this new format, Caddy? Did you think it went a little bit too long, or did it sort of hold your interest right throughout it? No, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I think, it, again, you know, this has been a real Mickey Mouse sort of competition for, for years, and you know the players that are in it. You know, they, they've sort of r- ranged from, in the early days, I think it was, you know, primarily, you know, the point guard type 
played and we saw it, you know, it evolve into bigger guys you know, as well. And some of the drills where they you know, dribbling up and down the court, you know, hit a layup at one end and then the passing was quite, um, you know, ho-hum, I suppose, as well. But, yeah, this mixed it up a little bit and it really did showcase a lot more skill because there was, you know, a lot more shooting challenges for passing, as you mentioned, and the relay. And I like the way that teams were done. It was a, yeah, a bit of a, a strange mix of how, how they did that. But I think that, that all that worked. And I think, again, from our perspective, having Giddy involved in it um, added an extra layer of interest, uh, certainly, and, and, and particularly because he performed so well. Um, you know, straight out of the gate with the shooting, he outperformed Cunningham and Barnes. He outperformed them both in the, the passing as well. So, yeah, he... He did a, a great job representing um, Oklahoma City and, and Australia as well. And, um, yeah, and then with the Cavs team, um, you know, in front of their hometown, getting uh, the, the crowd going there. Oh, look, I thought it was a, a good format and at least had a bit more, I suppose, interest in, in the way it was done than, than what we'd seen previously. Um, and I thought that was, yeah, one of the highlights of the night for mine. Yeah, I really enjoyed it also. We then had the three-point shootout, which is, for me, always my favourite part of that All-Star Saturday. So it was a decent enough lineup. It was CJ McCollum, Fred Van Vliet, Zach Levine, Desmond Bain, uh, Len- uh, sorry, Luke Kennard, uh, Paddy Mills, Trey Young, and Carl Anthony Towns. So we had McCollum had 19 in the first round. Fred Van, Fred Van Vliet, his first shot, caddy, straight off the side of the backboard, which is <laughs> never a good way to start a three-point shootout. He had 16 points. Your man, Zach Levine, very disappointing, caddy, with 14 points. Maybe you can blame that knee injury that he had. Desmond Bain and his big cannons was only 18 points. Now, then we had Luke Kennard had 28 points in the first round. He, he was looking very good after the first round. Paddy Mills, 21 points. Unfortunately, just got pipped by Trey Young, 22 points. And Car- I think Trey Young made his last shot to get through from memory. And same with Carl Anthony Towns. Towns. Yeah, both yeah. made that corner, corner money board. Corner, yeah. Just the one point ahead of Mills, uh, both of them. Yeah, and Carl Anthony Towns actually made his last five shots, I think it was, to get through. So our boy Paddy Mills, very unlucky not to get through to the final. So the final came down to uh, Luke Kennard, Trey Young, and Carl Anthony Towns. And, and the big cat caddy come out and put the pressure on right from the start, hit a hit a record 29 points. Luke Kennard and both Trey Young hit 26. Trey Young just threw up a prayer for that last one. He probably could have knocked that down and, and ended up with 28. But the, the, question I've got, the question I've got for you, Caddy, is do you like those – those Mountain Dew long balls that they had, because I think Carl Anthony Towns knocked down both of those, and I don't reckon that Luke Kennard knocked down any of them. So I think I didn't sort of do the proper math, but I reckon he might have won if it wasn't for those for those balls, because th- there were three, weren't they? Those yeah, they are. Look, yeah. I, I don't mind them, because I think you know they are set back a little bit further, and, and it does probably represent the fact that you know that a lot of these guys do have um, you know greater range and, and do shoot from... And further out, whether they should be worth three or two, you know, that's probably questionable. But, um, Paddy Mills also um, shot both of them in, which which kept yeah. him in it because it, he started really so He missed, I think, his first five shots on, in the, yep. the first. He was pretty good on, he, on his uh, money on his money round, wasn't he? On his money rack, he was. Yeah, so they, those and the the Mountain Jews um, got him, you know, into the twenty one there. But yeah, he, he started off terribly. And I thought, oh shit, this, this could um, be a little bit of a a tough minute or so for him, but he, he came back really hard and, and was a bit unlucky in the end not to, to get through, as you mentioned. But, um, oh, no, it's a good, fun competition. It, it keeps you engaged. And I think, the, as you mentioned, the lineup was was stacked enough with, um, you know, known good shooters uh, to, to make it, you know, a really legitimate competition. And, um, yeah, it's always my favourite contest of the night as well. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, for, it's been embarrassing for these smaller 
shooting type players in another centres. One of them, I think, was the first one since Dirk Nowitzki, or the, the, the tallest player since Dirk um, when he won it um, a while yep. back, 2006, I think it was. So Kevin Love win one? Did, did I? Ah, uh, he did yeah. 2012, but yeah, Townsend's taller than him. So um, yeah, he's the tallest since uh, Dirk Nowitzki um, to, to win. Yeah, I'd put a, a multi on because I, I, I thought CJ McCollum would go pretty good. But I did like Cat. I think he was the rank outsider, which surprised yeah, me. 12 to 1, I think he was, yeah. Yeah, well, he doesn't jump when he shoots it. And you see, obviously, you're taking a lot of shots in a minute. So fatigue can sort of set in. So that was obviously a bonus for him. And and as I mentioned, the fatigue sort of setting in. It was interesting to see a number of the players have their money rack on that last one. And I think it was Fred Van Vliet or one, one of the – one of the shooters didn't actually get all their money shots away because they had it at the end. So I'm not sure that's sort of – I understand, you, you know, the corner three is the best shot to take. You don't want to do it in your first on your first rack because you want to sort of get warmed up. But it's probably a bit of uh, – you're probably playing with fire a little bit to have it on that last rack. You don't want to be rushing your last shots when, when you're trying to go for your, for your money ball there. But, yeah, to have – out of eight competitors, to have four all-stars, you know, it's – it's a great event every year. That there's, I, I do enjoy the 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 long ball as well. So I don't sort of mind that wrinkle. But it's interesting that I think, as I said, I didn't do the math properly, but I reckon Canard might have been a little bit stiff in the end because uh, he wa- he wasn't able to hit down those really long balls. Well, go, we went from that caddy to what would is no doubt the downer of the night, and and it, and it's cop it's copped a beating since since it happened the slam dunk competition. So it was Jalen Green, uh, Cole Anthony. One Tuscano Anderson, Obi Toppin. So certainly no household names amongst uh, those four players there. But you know what we saw, and and this is the problem with the slam dunk competition when you've got guys. You know you, you only get I think two attempts, but if you don't sort of make a, an actual attempt on the rim, it doesn't count as an attempt. So we had in, in that first round Jalen Green, and I think it must have been like a high school teammate trying to do a dunk, and I don't know whether it was the the guy passing his fault or. Jalen Green trying to do something that he didn't even get close to competing that dunk at all. So, I mean, I'm sure he can do the dunk. He must have done it a number of times in practice. But I I think he probably got – well, not probably. He definitely got his strategy wrong. You don't try and pull out your best dunk in that first round. Just sort of do something that looks good. You know, get the first dunk up, maybe get the crowd going and save your your good ones for the end. But we saw him, you know, miss quite a few dunks. Kyle Anthony with his Timberland shoes, you know, missed it the first time. You know, the the reason that Vince Carter's um, slam dunk sort of is legendary, his slam dunk performance is legendary because he made the dunks, I think every one of them on the first go. And and that's what you want to see. It gets the crowd going. This was a very flat occasion. If you just sort of look at the dunks in isolation, like Obi Toppin, did some really nice dunks. He did, you know, off the glass, through the legs. That's obviously very difficult to do that. The one, the reverse uh, that he did just sort of, he didn't get enough power on that. It would have looked much better if he had got that flush. And even that last dunk we'd never really seen before. It was a bit of a strange one where he tapped the glass and almost sort of laid it in. But what did you think of this, Caddy? Was it, did, did you sort of lose interest halfway through because guys were taking so long? Or what do you reckon about the, the slam dunk competition this year? Yeah, it's exactly that. I think it, you know it's a tough watch when, yeah, they don't get it right straight away, and then it just takes the air out of it. So um, I was watching the dunk contest earlier today, actually, of um, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. I think 2016, where it was probably I think incredible, wasn't it? Well known as probably the best dunk contest we've ever seen in terms of what those guys pulled off. And again, the dunks were awesome, but there was a fact that they were getting them done, you know, in the first first go, and that, that's exactly what you've. Got to try and generate, and, and look, you know, 
hard for me to sit here as a spectator and, and shit down folks that are trying to do incredible dunks. Yeah. Yeah, just the fact that yeah they they don't get them done first. It just you know it doesn't matter really at the end how good the dunk is. I think it's it, you're all flat by the time it happens. It, it you know if you look at it in isolation, you go yeah great that's a great dunk and the, and the highlights will, will show that. But yeah, when you're watching it live and and I think in, from the, one of the tweets and commentary from inside the arena was um pretty pr- pretty flat in there and wasn't a lot of um excitement that was that was happening for for what should be probably the most exciting event on on the night. But um. Yeah, I think you know some of those previous contests that that were so good have probably ruined it for, for everyone. And I think it's been a couple of years now since we've had a really good dunk contest, unfortunately. Um, and you don't blame, I don't think, any of the you know superstar type players to, to not go in it because you know if it does go pear shaped, then you know you might lose a little bit of credibility from around the league, which is you know, unfortunate because you love to see a guy like Jar ja- ja Moran as an example. You know, in the dunk contest, I think you know one of the dunks he threw down in, in the actual All Star game. Some of, the, some of the dunks we've seen. Yeah, his, um, his alley oop reverse. Do, do, do you really think they would lose credibility? Like, I, I, I think these guys are a little bit precious about their, their so-called image. Like, I mean, would anybody really care? Like, Jan, do you even remember Giannis going in the dunk competition and losing it? No, nah, not really. No, I, exactly. I, 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 like I think it's yeah. just on the night. You know, they're there in front of their peers, and I think if, yeah, it's, it's all well if it all goes you know perfectly, but you know, there's a high risk involved in it, and there's every chance it won't. So I think that's where people probably uh, shy away from it a little bit. But yeah, and we get you know a, a field you know similar to what we got where, as you said, no real household names in that group. I'm you know I'm sure Jalen Green's going to be a terrific player, NBA player at some point, and yeah, you know, we'll probably forget all about um, this dunk contest. But yeah, when you're trying to get the vibe up inside the arena and um, and watching from home, it, it was certainly a tough watch the other day. There's no doubt about that. And yeah, I don't know how what they do with the dunk contest. It's seemingly a staple of the event, so I suppose they're going to stick with it. But um, yeah, you'd like to see a bit more, ex- a bit better execution on the night, ideally. Yeah, just, just some more star power is is the key for me. And I don't know how they do it. As you said, a lot of the players are reluctant to go in it. I've heard some suggestions that if you're a first time All Star, you have to do some sort of event, which which would have been nice this year with Ja Morant. We would have got Zion last year, so I don't know how you've don't know if you can force players to go into it. But right. yeah, who else would have we got this year? We would have got Lamelo and Dejounte Murray and yep. Wiggins. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, like Wiggins. We've been asking for Wiggins to go into the dunk Garland. competition for years. Yeah, yeah, Ben Fleet. Yeah, so, so what are you saying? They, they compete in the dunk contest and the three-point contest. Yep. So, or the, or yeah. the, you know, I mean, you can't do the skills challenge anymore if they're going to do the teams. But, yeah, m- maybe they have to do something, one of the events, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. Get some more involved. I think, yeah, I love, I did like some of the footage of some of the guys travelling to um, the All-Star Weekend. I think it was John Morant on his private jet <laughs> was flashing the uh, <laughs> yeah. sheets, sheets, sheets of cash on oh, the plane yeah. and having a, a big night. So, yeah, and, you know, fair enough. Yeah, played until he's having a great season, a good opportunity to let the hair down. No doubt, and it looked like Luka Doncic, uh, the way he played on on Sunday, certainly <laughs> let his hair down. He was very not very interested, Caddy, in uh, putting his best foot forward. But there was plenty of news to come out of All Star Weekend and, and just prior to, to All Star Weekend with a couple of injuries. So we'll discuss a couple of those. We'll start with the the CP three injury, and much to the dismay of the power and the key. Fantasy team caddy Chris Paul is ruled out. Well, he's going to be reevaluated in six to eight weeks. 
He's got an avulsion fracture in his right thumb. So there's seven weeks left in the season. As you mentioned earlier, he surprisingly played in the All-Star game only a couple of minutes. He was obviously just sort of wanted to get out there and and feel it for a little bit. So at the moment, they've got a six-and-a-half game lead on Golden State in the top spot and obviously the best overall record in the NBA. There's 24 games to go, so it's probably unlikely that they're going to relinquish that that top spot, but how, how do you see this this injury for Phoenix, Caddy? Do you think it's sort of something they need to worry about? Do you think in a strange way it's going to be good because it's going to give some rep to some other players? You know, Devin Booker is going to have to take the lead. You know, they've had they've, had, they've got one of the best clutch records ever since, you know, that clutch stat um, has been recorded. So, you know, now a lot of the pressure is going to go back on Devin Booker. So do you think in a strange way it could be a bit as a, Bit of a positive. It gives CP CP three a rest. He'll come into the playoffs feeling a lot more fresher, and maybe he won't sort of. We saw him late in the finals last year. He was probably sort of coming to the end of his run. So, so maybe in a strange way, it'll help them a little bit. I think so. Yeah. Like I mean, if it was any other team, you probably wouldn't be saying that. But the fact that, as you mentioned, Phoenix has got a seven, just about a seven game cushion in the West, it should be enough to to hold on with a with or without Chris Paul. I mean, ideally, six weeks is probably longer than you would have liked. If it was a little three to four weeker, um, it's probably something you'd be a little bit more comfortable with. But, um, yeah, I think for him, it's probably a blessing in disguise in the sense that he does get to rest the legs leading into the playoffs. Um, you know, all of a sudden that um, trade deadline move to pick up Aaron Holiday for cash um, seems like it's a, a huge get, yeah. So, yeah, so at least, you know, they get a, he'll get an opportunity to play meaningful time now. Um, they'll get a good look at him and, and I'm sure he'll, he'll, you know, he'll handle what they need from him um, pretty well. And, you know, they've still got plenty of guard depth, you know, with Cameron Payne and, um, you know, and, and others. Who do you, you think know, will start, Caddy? Do you think they'll keep Payne in that reserve role or do you think they'll give, they'll give it to Holiday? Yeah, sorry, they'll keep Payne in that reserve role. Do you think he'll go and start? No, I think they'll probably keep him in that role and Holiday would start would be my guess. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how they run with it. Um, Alfred Payton's the other one on the roster that, that could see it up in minutes as well. So, yeah, they've got enough coverage there um, through the roster. Uh, and, you know, if they drop a few games on the way through it, I don't think, it's, as we mentioned, it's going to be a huge issue for them in terms of holding on to, to their seeding. So, yeah, I mean, six weeks is, is probably not, you know, hugely ideal. But, um, yeah, the fact he's going to have a forced layoff um, and it's not a leg injury, um, and, uh, I think that's probably in Chris Paul's best interest by the time the playoffs roll around. Yeah, I agree. I think in a strange way it will be really good for him. At least it's a hand injury, so he should be able to sort of keep his fitness up. Obviously, we saw him last year. I think they said this is the fifth time he's had surgery on on his hand. So he obviously knows how to recover and and do what he needs to do. And we did see his dribble was affected during the playoffs at time last year. So as long as he's fully recovered, the playoffs obviously go for for quite a a lengthy amount of time. They should be good enough to get through the first round series with – without him or even sort of a, a Chris Paul working his way back in a form. And, yeah, I, I think this will be good for him in, in the later rounds because he hadn't missed a game yet, I don't think, and he'd be playing pretty high minutes for a guy of his age. So, yeah, they'll get a nice, refreshed uh, CP3 leading into the finals and, and they should be able to make a deep run with him. The other injury we saw, Caddy, just that was announced just before the All-Star break was was Anthony Davis. He, he's got a, a mid-foot sprain. We saw him... I think we spoke about this last week. He went down and rolled his ankle pretty bad. So he's going to be re-evaluated in four weeks so that, you know, maybe he misses five or six in the end, but he's re-evaluated 
in four weeks. The Lakers sit in ninth spot at the moment with their record 27 and 31. So they still got about a three or four game cushion on New Orleans and and, and the Kings who are chasing them for that for that spot in the playing tournament. So so what do you think, Caddy? Is this something that they really need to worry about, or do you think they've got a big enough cushion that they should be able to hold on until AD gets back? No, this is a concern, this one, for sure. Uh, just the fact it's another in- injury for Anthony Davis first and foremost. But, yeah, the Lakers are pretty precariously positioned, as we know. Uh, but, again, this is the whole reason they probably, um, you know, that Russell Westbrook trade made some sense at the time because it does, you know, we know he's a, a you know, a terrific regular season player. He's going to, you know, he'll step up to the plate and, and take a more meaningful role, whether it equates to, you know, huge amount of wins for them or not. But, um, you know, we know he's a competitive beast and he'll, he'll relish that opportunity. But yeah, look, it's a disaster for the Lakers who, who clearly didn't need any more adversity this season. Um, and, and they really didn't need to put any more. You know, additional minutes or unnecessary time until LeBron James would be a thought either. That's the biggest but, problem, know, isn't it? He's going to have to play a lot of five now. And God, he's at his age. He's, he's had a fantastic season, but that's the last thing he needed. Yeah, absolutely. No, didn't, didn't need that at all. And um, yeah, they're, they're in trouble, as we know, anyway, uh, the Lakers. But yeah, this is certainly going to make their end of season that less uh, less enjoyable with, you know, they are going to be on a nightly fight now just to, to even hold on to a playing spot, let alone try and move up into a, a very unlikely scenario, which would have been, you know, into the six seed, the six games out of that at, at, at the moment. And then, as you said, about a four or five game cushion to, to the 11th seed. So, yeah, they're, they're right in that playing zone. And without Anthony Davis um, for the foreseeable future, it's going to be um, a real grind for them. But I, I think if you're, you know, if you did have Russell Westbrook in your fantasy team, you'd be smiling from ear to ear because he'll all of a sudden be um, triple-double uh, Russell Westbrook. Yep. Again, I think he'll be going crazy. So um, yeah, I just don't know that it's going to translate into too much success for the Lakers. And you reckon that the Lakers might be having some regrets at the moment? There's been that the rumour sort of circulating since the since the trade deadline that they had an offer from Houston. that They would have received John Wall and Christian Wood for, for Russell Westbrook, THT, and that 2027 first rounder that was getting bandied around for everybody. So Christian Wood would have been able to slide into this AD spot for those last four weeks. So is that surprising to you, Caddy, that they didn't pull the trigger on that move? When I heard that, I know Christian Wood, maybe you're looking at him as one of those, you know, putting up big stats on a bad team. Maybe he can't sort of fit in, but he's he's a youngish type player with some good upside, the, the sort of player that, you know, maybe they would want to add to, to help LeBron, and, and they didn't pull the trigger. What, what did have you, What did you think when you heard that rumor that they that they could have gone down that path? Yeah, well, I actually hadn't uh, been across that one. So yeah, I think if you know, for me, if that was on offer, I would have probably jumped at that opportunity uh, to have a, a, a different look for this year. Because as we mentioned another t- uh, number of times, we think that it's a bit of a lost cause this season anyway. So to be able to get off Russ, have a look at a different mix with John Wall and, you know, if it was Christian Wood, um, you know, at that stage playing a reserve role at Anthony Davis, then I think that would have been a, a better fit for them. And particularly now with the injury, um, that would have been an absolute no-brainer. But, um, yeah, look, they, they made the decisions. And there was, uh, the reporting I did see was basically the Lakers, um, the top brass there in, in LA, you don't want to just bail out LeBron and these guys in terms of, and the insinuation was that you know, they basically put the, the roster together in terms of, you know, Pushing for some of these moves, and it was you know really up to them as players to, to get them get the the club out of um, out of the situation they're in. So I found that some of those comments quite interesting as to um as to why some of uh, any potential trades may or may not have happened at the deadline. Yeah, well, we know 
we've seen teams sort of basically submit to LeBron James's demands and and yeah, it, it's not it's not surprising that we've seen a, a bit of a, a response from LeBron given that they didn't sort of push all their chips in. Over the All-Star break, we heard LeBron make some very interesting comments. Some of the comments he made was, you know, the, the door's not closed on a return for him to Cleveland. He was praising Kobe Altman, their, their GM, saying he's, saying he's made some really good moves, which which he certainly has. Also heaped some praise onto Sam Presti, the, the OKC uh, general manager who's got a boatload of draft picks coming up and, and obviously that interesting sort of carrot which I think he addressed as well that he wants to retire and finish basically finish his career playing with his son Bronny James who's gonna gonna do going to be eligible after another two seasons to enter the NBA draft. Now m- most sort of draft experts that you read and, and talk about him are suggesting that it would be in his best interest to to stay in college another two or three seasons. But if he let let's say you know, he, he nominates for the draft after his first season in, in college. He's probably not up to the NBA, but but if you're a team like an OKC or a Detroit or an Orlando or one of these teams that, you know, in, Indi- in Indiana that don't really have a lot going for them, their fans are sort of not turning up to the games, well, why wouldn't you throw away, you know, a first-round pick or a late first-round pick or an early second-round pick to, to get a Bronny James in and then obviously get LeBron James on top of that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. What do you think is going to happen here? Do, do you, could you see one of these sort of lower teams, Caddy, doing that just so they get a LeBron James into their team? Well, you're getting a, what, a 40-year-old LeBron James into your team? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that happens, you know, but, in, he's um, obviously still producing now. So let's say it's in another two seasons after this, he's not going to be averaging sort of 29 points, but you'd reckon he's still going to be a very handy player and obviously bring people through the gate, given his name and obviously who he is. Oh, absolutely. Look, I think the team is smart enough now, though. They'll assess Bronny James. Look, I don't know. I haven't followed that that draft class closely enough to understand where he's sitting in terms of, you know, the the draft board, you know, whether he's a legitimate first-round pick um, or not. But, yeah, I mean, if if you're talking second-round picks, then, yeah, maybe... It's something worth looking at in terms of, you know, drafting him a bit higher than you you may have just to, as you mentioned, get get your hands on LeBron as well. But you know, it's you know, we're talking a, a number of years in the future still. Um, he hasn't even you know, declared for college yet. So I think he's still got another year of high school after this one, and then college. So you're talking three years um, to get into the NBA. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long shot, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it might be something you know to, worth looking at, but um, yeah, he, he was on a bit of a hiding to nothing in the sense LeBron um, at All Star Weekend. The fact that it was in Cleveland, he, he knew he was going to get answered, uh, asked a number of questions around his future, and and you know being in in Cleveland itself, the game, and a lot of local reporters were probably asking those questions. And yeah, he, he ruled out the fact he, um, that he could potentially come back to, to Cleveland once again. Um, yes, yeah, so it's going to be a watch this space for sure. I think there've been a few murmurings, you know, around you know how long he potentially would stay in LA if things you know weren't weren't looking good, and, and that you know may be the case as soon as this off season. So um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting watch to see uh, the LeBron sweepstakes get into action once again potentially. It certainly will be, and yeah, I, I like it. LeBron's always putting pressure on the team he's playing for, and this is this is just another example of that. So yeah, let's see what the Lakers. Are able to do in the off season 
The big news, Caddy, that we heard today was Goran Dragic, who's pretty much been spoken about as the bell of the ball in, in the buyout market. He made his decision today that he was going to sign with the Brooklyn Nets, which when I heard that, I must admit, was a, I was a little bit surprised. But, you know, the more you think about it, he's obviously got a very good relationship with the coach, Steve Nash. That's He started his career as a backup to Nash in Phoenix. So there's, there's obviously no doubt that Steve Nash has had a big input in, in getting Goran Dragic across to, to the Brooklyn Nets. He'd been spoken about to, you know, to potentially going to a team like the Lakers, or I mentioned may, maybe a Boston, you know, maybe even a Philly. That There was a number of teams that were throwing their hat in the ring to, to get a Goran Dragic. So so w- what do you think about this this move for Dragic? Do you think he made the right call uh, going across to Brooklyn? And what role uh, and what, what role do you think he can have for the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, look, I'm probably a bit surprised he was... Uh spoken about such so highly in regards to the, you know, almost the number one guy on the buyout market because, you know, we really haven't seen him play this year. Uh, he played eight, eight games yeah. um, in really limited opportunity in Toronto. And, you know, they clearly are going to be a playoff team and still, uh, mm-hmm. whether it was from uh, Dragic's side or from the Raptors' side, that they agreed that he wouldn't play. I mean, this is a guy that even as, as recently as last year just played the 50 games in Miami, averaging 13 points a game, 43% shooting. You know, certainly past his peak, going to be a valuable backup to, to someone. Um, I was just yeah surprised that so many teams were supposedly clamouring over his um over his services and and you know being spoken about like you know the hottest uh, acquisition in town. So in terms of Brooklyn and the fit, you know they're they're pretty loaded in the guard spot. So you know when you're talking Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Paddy Mills, you know they're pretty deep. Um, even Cam Thomas is playing more of a shooting guard role and playing really, really well too, mind you, um, just before the All-Star break. So, yeah, he, he's really the additional depth to what we've seen there. It's probably Paddy Mills would be the one sweating bullets the most out of that group, I think, in terms of um, of opportunity, depending on how big a role they need for Goran Dragic. But, yeah, I thought for Brooklyn it was probably overkill in terms of a, a need or a fit for what they uh, would be potentially looking for at this stage. And I just probably thought there was, may have been a bigger opportunity for Goran Dragic in, say, in Milwaukee, where the, you know, that guard rotation has thinned out a little bit with the Devontae uh, DiVincenzo trade and also the Pat Cotton, um injury. So yeah, it was an interesting decision to pick Brooklyn. And yeah, when there is such star power in that dep- uh, guard depth chart. Yeah, I agree. As I, as I said, I thought it was surprising. Milwaukee, yeah, that, that that's a great one. I think he would have been a really good fit there uh, to, you know, to, as you said, they've had a couple of injuries to, to some of their guards. So j- just on Dragic to play, obviously being a Miami fan, I've seen him play a lot over the last few years and he was fantastic for, for a number of years, made an all-star team, played, played really well as recently as the bubble. Now that was obviously a bit of a strange sort of scenario, the way that was shaking out, but he was when he went down with that injury, that sort of put paid to any chance Miami have of beating the Lakers in that series. So he, he certainly can come in off the bench and give you a spark. He, he He's obviously played a lot of basketball. He's very experienced, knows what he needs to do, can hit the, hit the three ball. So it was it was going to be a good ad for, for somebody. Like, you, you're not going to expect to get an absolute superstar, obviously, off the buyout market. So, uh, yeah, a number of teams would have liked to have get their hands on him. But I agree, it's, it's a bit of a strange sort of pick uh, by Dragic, but as I said, I think it was certainly led uh, very strongly by the fact that he's got a really good relationship with Nash, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Nash was able to sort of sell the dream to Dragic. This is going to be your role. This is how we see you fitting in, and he obviously trusted the word of Steve Nash. So we'll see how that pans out. They're obviously struggling at the moment down in, in the eighth spot, and you know we, we're not sure when KD's 
going to be due back. I did hear a report, Steve Nash, I think it was Steve Nash that even said it, that he, he might be, you know, very close to returning pretty soon after the All-Star break and we're obviously still not sure what's happening with Ben Simmons and when he's going to be due back out on the floor. So there's quite a few moving parts going on at Brooklyn. There's now the talk about potentially Kyrie Irving being able to play home games. They're going to maybe lift that mandate. It's the, I think it's the mayor saying it doesn't make a lot of sense that visiting players can play there, but home players can't, and I agree. Kyrie Irving should be allowed to play if you're going to let the visiting players there. So let's see how it all shakes out over the next couple of weeks for Brooklyn. They're certainly going to be one of the most interesting watches over the next couple of weeks. And what did you think of the uh, Tristan Thompson acquisition? We're talking, I, I think, yeah. um, from the Chicago point of view, that's a, almost a, a bigger get than I think even the Goran Dragic one. Uh, the news today, I think uh, Thompson being available in probably the most unusual um, of circumstance in terms of the reporting of, him, uh, of the company's yeah. way yeah. and uh, with his own head coach basically breaking the news in his press conference. And, yeah, after um, he had a uh, really uh, good game for him. After he had yeah. a, a big game, yeah. I think he was six from seven from the field or, or something like that. And um, Yeah, it was uh, Rick Carlisle basically um, yeah, wishing him best of luck at his new stop that, and the fact that he'd be waived and be um, picked up by an Eastern Conference contender that started with C and finished with O. Yeah. <laughs> and this was Very before, cryptic. Um, yeah, before any of the uh, reporters had actually had the scoop. So um, I, I thought it was a good, good pick-up for Chicago and certainly um, you know, filled a, a, a real need for, for them in the front court, absolutely, as a, as a backup veteran um, that can play you know, meaningful minutes in, in this team. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they're obviously relying upon... You know Tony Bradley to, to play that backup role, but you know he's you know he's hasn't got the experience that you'd like. We've seen DeRozan effectively play the four for a lot of the season. You know Derek Jones Jr. has been asked to play the four a lot. You know Thompson's going to mainly play the five, but you know it gives you certainly gives you a, a quite a you know, another option at least. And we've seen Vucevic has has started to play much better basketball. So you know hopefully from a Chicago perspective that they they can get. All their players back and healthy. We spoke about Levine will obviously be back after the All Star break. Lonzo Ball's due back shortly. Is he caddy along with Caruso? Yeah, they're he's be too probably far away. still. Yeah, they're probably still. I think Lonzo Ball's a bit further away. He might still be three to four weeks, but Caruso hopefully um, be back before him. So yeah, they get Levine back. Maybe then Caruso, then Lonzo Ball. Um, Derek Jones Jr. is the other one that hasn't been playing as well. So there's still a, a bit of um, a bit of. Um, Got some players to, to come in and, and solidify the the roster there in Chicago. Yeah, well, they're certainly. And Pat, 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 Pat Williams, the other one, hopefully. Yeah, well, is there any news on him? Have, have they said he's definitely out, or have they said that he's a chance? Uh, to get I back? think there's I think there's definitely some hope that he could return before the end of the end of the season. So um, whether that happens or not, but yeah, there's certainly a bit more optimism around that than um, there had been. Very good. It'd be good to get him back in the fray as well, leading into the playoffs. So they're going to be a very dangerous team once they get all their pieces back out on the court. So we'll call it there, Caddy. As I say every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. If you haven't jumped on Apple Podcasts as yet and given us a five-star rating, please do so. That would be much appreciated. We've also got the Facebook page up and going. If you jump on the Facebook and like the page, we post the episodes there every week. And until next week, we'll talk to you then. 